Hi, and welcome to The Unveiling. I'm Tim, one of the hosts, and along with Ajay and Mark, we are three guys discussing the one true gospel. We hope you're encouraged by this episode. Let's dive right in. Welcome, or welcome back, to The Unveiling with, well, we're all here as usual. I don't have to belabor that point, but we're glad you're here. This is episode 53, and the title of today's episode is Jesus is Man. Last week, we covered Jesus is God, but it's just as important, if not more so, to understand that when Jesus came, he came fully God and fully man. It's almost a precondition for some of the stuff that we believe in throughout the entirety of our Christianity and our salvation. So I'm not going to jump in and do too much intro here, but rather I'm going to pass it off. Uh, Eeny, meeny, miny, Ajay, why don't you start us off today? Thank you, Tim, and it's always good to see you both. Um, Well, I'm going to dive straight into our subject today, Jesus is man. In fact, you know, I wanted to point out right out of the gate, you know, it's not Jesus was man. Jesus is man. Jesus became man and he is forever man. And we saw, uh, I think in our last episode, we uh, went over John 1, uh, I think to a great extent. And it starts with, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And if you jump to verse 14, you know, the, it said the word, we know that it is referring to our Lord Jesus Christ, and he was God, and it is clear. And if you jump to verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the word, the eternal God, our Lord Jesus Christ, he became flesh, he became human being and dwelt among us. So it is very clear that the Bible says, you know, Lord Jesus Christ is not only God, but he's also man. He's 100% God and 100% man. So I want to quickly kick off with, you know, why he had to become man. And then, you know, we can take it from there. So I'm going to jump to Hebrews chapter 2. And we see that in verse 5, he's talking about, he, it's actually in verse 6, he quotes, uh, uh, quotes from Psalms. He, the author says, you know, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than angels and have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. And you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do see, sorry, but now we do not see all things put under him but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. So here we see clearly, right, you know, why Jesus was made like man. When the scripture, you know, in this particular scripture, when it is saying we are made a little lower than angels, it is talking about humanity. And Jesus Christ also was made a little lower than angels for what? For the suffering of death. You know, that is a main point of our Lord Jesus Christ becoming a human. And again, you know, if you go further down a little bit in verse 14, in as much as children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their time subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but 
he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So here the point is, you know, when Adam sinned, he was a man, right? You know, we saw this several times, you know, when he sinned, the whole humanity fell. And for what Adam did, you know, in order to redeem us from what Adam did, Jesus had to become a man, you know. Like, you know, uh, Jesus as God, you know, in heaven, he cannot redeem us from death. So because it is human being that sinned, it has to be a perfect human being, you know, that could redeem us. So that's why the Bible says that, uh, that, you know, Jesus had to become a man to redeem us from death. I'm going to stop here and let you guys chime in. Sure. It's... um. I really love that uh, Gospel of John. It's it's a bit cryptic, but it, it makes such a great point talking about the Word. And like you mentioned in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know exactly who John is talking about. And what's interesting is in one of John's epistles, 1 John 1, written by the same John, who was uh, Jesus closest earthly friend, the apostle that Jesus loved, um, even gives more meaning to what he writes here. And I love the beginning of 1 John 1 here. He says, that which was from the beginning. So he's talking about Jesus' deity there. Um, And he says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. And I love that because they heard his voice. He had a human voice. They saw him. They looked at him. They lived with him. Uh, They touched him with their very hands. He wasn't some spirit some ghostly apparition. This was a human being they lived their lives with. They walked with, uh, traveled across the countryside with, ate with, fished with, and well, you can you can read it yourself. They lived human lives together. And I just love how John talks about um, just all the senses, the human senses that Jesus interacted with while he walked this earth. You know, that's uh, that's a very good point. And I think Luke also has something about his his being, you know, in physical form. We talked a little bit last week about Thomas, the the one who's normally referred to as Thomas the doubter or, or the unbeliever. I'm not sure. But uh, in Luke 24, 39, it says, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. That's it's literally right there on the ground in the moment saying, you know, I mean, yes, it's right after the resurrection and, and they were, you know, they'd watched him die, they thought, and here he was again. But still, even at that point, still fully human. That's uh, I mean, that's, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that point to that. And uh, the Apostle Matthew also agrees with the Apostle John on that, and he quotes Isaiah 7.14, which is one of the great prophecies that was given centuries and centuries before Christ's 
came, Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So not only was he human, he came to be in this world the exact same way we all did, being born physically by our mothers. She was pregnant, carried him from from embryo to fetus to infant being born. And the great thing about Emmanuel is it literally means God with us. Amen. Yeah, you know, one of the interesting things is, you know, even though Jesus is God, when he was on this earth, I think his favorite term in terms of referring to him, he is the son of man. He referred to himself as the son of man several times. And I believe, you know, not many times as son of God, but many times as son of man. You know, that also shows not only his humanity, but, you know, how much he loves to identify himself with us. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting that at times he referred to himself as the son of God and at other times as the son of man. So even he himself was constantly and consistent, consistently showing his humanity and deity, even in what he called himself. It is the fact that he was fully God and fully human. He wasn't two different people or even two different minds. But I believe, and you guys can tell me if you think I'm wrong, he was two different natures. He had the full, complete, deitical nature as well as the full and complete human nature. He just operated out of one or the other at particular times. That's my take, and it's my opinion. I don't have a scripture to back that up. So so I would think so, Tim, because, you know, by uh, the very virtue of the fact that he is both uh, God and man, obviously he has all the divine attributes and divine nature. In fact, his divine nature is the one, I think, that uh, uh, caused him to uh, die for us, right, you know. Uh, so I, I would I would think so. Like he would have both humanity and uh, deity at the same time. So both natures. Well, but what Tim is saying is that he operated in one or the other. Did I understand that? Like according to the situation, Tim, is that what you're saying? That's that's my take, Mark. And again, I have absolutely nothing to back that up with. No, but I think you're right. I think you're right. But I think at the same I, at the same time. He was one. He he was one integrated person. That he was always human and always deity. Certain situations, I think, brought out one or the other. Like when people were mourning or sorrowful, his humanity empathized with that, and he would weep and be troubled in his spirit. At other times, his deity would naturally come out to heal or to forgive sins or, or do that. I, I just didn't, I, I do agree with you, but I just don't want that to be like the multiple personality thing. He was one, one person who had both both humanity and deity living in that. And I, But I do think you're right in the aspect of that different situations brought out different sides of his personhood. I wasn't trying to distinguish that he was, you know, split down the middle, half human, half, and then he'd be right. one mind and then the other. He was fully God and fully human, 
but his and I can't I don't have the correct words to describe it, but I you know I gave you as pitiful of an explanation as I could. Well, I tend to uh, think differently here because when Lord Jesus Christ came, you know, he came here as a human. And uh, in fact, you know, Philippians chapter 2, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it a robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of man. So when he became man, he left his deity in heaven and he became one of us, right? You know, even though he was equal with God, he stripped himself of that Godhood because he came to redeem us, right? He did not come to show his Godness here because he could have been a God from heaven also. So again, I think here I'm not trying to argue, but he came to be a human, and lived a perfect human life. I don't disagree with you, Ajay, but yeah. I don't agree with you, Ajay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, Tim, when Ajay said, I'm not trying to argue here, he's correct. He doesn't have to try. <laughs> <laughs> Ajay, he couldn't not be fully God at the same time he was fully man, even during his ministry here on earth. Or, and we, I think we talked about this last week, he couldn't have paid the price that was required to be paid for the entire world. If he was only man, he could not have paid the price for the forgiveness of sins. He couldn't have done some of the things he did in his ministry, forgiving people's sins, healing people, if he wasn't always, uh, also fully God at the same time. What I would say is it's it's been virtually universally understood that when Christ came, Although being fully God and fully human, he did veil some of his heavenly glory because I believe he said toward the end of his life, now, Father, restore me to the glory I had with you before he came to us. So he did veil. He didn't come like the glory of God in heaven. We couldn't look upon that on this earth, you know, especially at that point. He hadn't died yet on the cross. So there's that aspect of it. Um that he didn't stop being God, but I think he did veil some of that for our for our sake. No, I think the point I was making is in the work of redemption, right? If it's a man that sinned, it is through another man that came redemption. So there he was fully man. So that's all I was saying. One point I want to bounce on from what you said, Ajay, when you read Philippians 2.6, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He not only came and became fully human, he came and went and became the lowest. You know, he became a servant, a slave to all. And But what's great about that is, he can relate to all from the lowest to the highest. Um, I think we talked about this before that he came from the highest place and came to the very lowest place, subjected himself to death on a cross, which was reserved for the lowest of low criminals, murderers and thieves. And 
that's just an, it even drives the fact that he was willing to come and take on flesh even further. He didn't come to be a, like a human king. He came to be a human servant and, and wash the feet of his disciples and touch the lepers and, you know, the outcast that most humans wouldn't go near. So I think that's a very powerful part of his humanity. Yeah, in fact, you know, that's a display of true righteousness. So Bible says that calls our Lord Jesus Christ the righteous one. And in another, another place it calls him, you know, you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. So what Lord Jesus Christ came to show us is what a righteous man is like, right? One who is truly righteous, that's what our Lord Jesus Christ is like. You know, you know, even though he became a servant, it is out of his righteousness. You know, that's what true righteousness is like. In fact, you know, what is righteousness but love, right? So the love of God is the righteousness of God. And truly loving one another and truly loving God is the righteousness of man. And that's what our Lord Jesus Christ did. And that's why, you know, he became a servant. He served us. And uh, that's why he went to the cross, right, to redeem us from our sins. And uh, in order to redeem, uh, we see it in the Old Testament as well, right? You know, in order to cover our sins, the lamb has to be without blemish. The lamb had to be perfect. You know, that is a picture of the sinless perfection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in that sinless perfection, he went to the cross to redeem us. Again, I want to kind of visit, revisit, you know, what we just read in uh, Hebrews real quick. The purpose of our Lord Jesus Christ becoming a human being is to die. That's the only reason. In fact, in uh, one place it says, you know, he set his face toward Jerusalem. So from the moment he was born, his goal was to go to the cross to redeem us from our sins. But before he could do that, he had to prove that he was righteous. So he had to obey the law perfectly so that, you know, he was proven to be righteous. And God cannot punish a righteous man, right? It would be it would be unjust for God to punish a righteous man. And the Bible says, you know, he knew no sin became sin, that he might be made the righteous, we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when he was punished on the cross, God did not punish the righteous Jesus, but he actually took our sin upon him. And it's interesting, right? It says Jesus became sin. I don't know how that is possible, but he became sin. And then he was punished on our, in our place. Think about that for a second. There's two things that I'm going to key in on there, Ajay, because they kind of blow my mind, even though I know them. First is... Jesus had to be unblemished, which means he had to keep the law. Now, just to be clear, we're not talking about just the Ten Commandments here. We're also talking about the, what, 613 rabbinical laws that were added. So he had to literally follow every single law. I, as a human being who knows I can't keep the Ten Commandments, I don't know how he kept the Ten Commandments plus 613 more. That just blows my mind. But the other one was, he who know no sin became sin. Wasn't his sin he became, was our sin he became. Yeah. That's just, you. if you, can, if you only have two things to meditate on about the, who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for you, to me, those are the two things. And they're just 
they're both so deep. One of the uh, my favorite scriptures that I memorized years ago, fortunately, I, I don't remember the chapter and verse anymore, but it's the Apostle Paul tells us, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. I believe there that, that Paul is talking about in his deity, he is the God that created everything, that holds everything together. King of kings, Lord of lords. He laid down that to take on the nature of a servant for us and become as poor as poor could be so that we might become rich, which is just another uh, way of real, of saying what uh, that God made him sin who had no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's just an awesome thing that for some reason, whenever I quote that scripture about him being rich and becoming poor so that we might become rich, it has a very emotional impact on me. Uh, just to bounce off what Ajay was talking about, another great scripture that backs that up is also Romans 8, where it says that um, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, humanity, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. And I just love that he's talking about here. He's made in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was like us in his humanity, and yet he didn't sin. As you mentioned, Tim, he followed all the laws. And not just the written, as the Pharisees did. You know, remember how he elevated the law and said, I tell you. You know, it said, don't commit adultery. But even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, he... He perfectly fulfilled it according to the spirit of the law, not just the written law where there are are loopholes. Um, So I just love the fact that because he came in the likeness of sinful flesh and yet never sinned, he, he qualified himself as the righteous, unspotted, unblemished lamb of God so that when he died for us, God didn't just sweep sin under the carpet, wink at it, and turn his head like it didn't exist. He condemned it in Jesus' flesh, in his humanity. He went to the most gruesome kind of death you could suffer for us. And that's just such a key point, the fact that he was not only humanity, but he was perfect humanity, like completely walking and living in the spirit at all times. Yeah. That is mind-blowing still, Mark. By the way, that verse uh, where he was rich and he became poor, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Sorry, Ajay, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just uh, chiming in. You know, perfect righteousness became perfect sin for us. And that's why he was punished perfectly on our behalf. That's why there is no punishment for us. The cross is called the many uh, men of God call cross the great exchange, like Mark, you were saying. We, he exchanged his deity for our humanity, his righteousness for our sin, and his riches for our poverty. And then we get in exchange, right? For our sin, we get his righteousness. For our death, we get his life. And for our poverty, we get his riches. I mean, like, 
there's nothing like this. It's a great exchange. And there's, yeah, when you say there's nothing like this, there's no other world religion, any religion anywhere like this at all. Yep, yep. Well, yeah, this is the only one in which the the supposed head of the religion supposedly died. <laughs> I mean, physically he died. He, like you said, Mark, one of the most gruesome deaths ever, you know, types ever recorded, the crucifixion, and, and came back and it tells us, rest in me, not now go out and do all these thousand other things that uh, I'm adding because I'm, I'm in charge now. He did all the things for us that we couldn't do. Every other religion, pretty much, it's about you doing. All right? You want to be a part of this religion. You have to believe every tenet of the religion. You have to do enough. But you never know what enough is. Like your friend, the Russian cantor, with the scales up on the wall there, you know. Well, that just makes you work harder. It may make you work harder, but there's no peace. There's no rest. And you still, no matter how hard you work, never know if it was enough. So you're, you're basically waiting till you, till you take your last breath to find out if you made it or not, which is not a way to live. <laughs> well, you know, Jesus put his thumb on the scale over 2,000 years ago, and it's on our favor now. So we, we can thank God for that every day. Hmm. I like that. Put his thumb on the scale on our behalf, <laughs> on the side of our good deeds. He put his thumb on there. <laughs> thank you, Lord. So if you guys are okay, I want to touch on one more passage, my favorite passage that sure. really contrasts the first Adam and the second Adam, Adam with our Lord Jesus Christ. I think this is really, really, uh, uh, it's a very short passage, but it clearly brings out the contrast. And uh, the whole gospel is explained in these few verses uh, from beginning to end. Um, Romans chapter 5 from verse 15. So it is contrasting that, you know, before this, he says, you know, through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. And then he goes on to say in uh, verse 15, but the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense, many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. See here, uses the term, the one man, the one man. The one man, the first one man was Adam, and because of his offense, many died. And it says, you know, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Again, here it's contrasting what Adam did, his one offense basically resulted in judgment and condemnation for everybody. But the free gift, which came after many offenses, resulted in justification. And in verse 17, for if by one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign through the one, Jesus Christ. Again, like see, see the contrast, one man, one man. Therefore, as through one man's offense, Judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteousness, or the righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. And for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So here you see the clear contrast. The first man, Adam, 
brought everything all the misery and sin and death and condemnation upon us and the second man lord jesus christ the righteous man he brought righteousness life and the gift of righteousness to us and the only difference is when adam sinned everybody died in him automatically right everyone became sinners but with the lord jesus christ cross we don't automatically become righteous it says the gift is not like the sin it is a gift you know only those who receive will become righteous that's what romans 5:17 is bringing out for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life so adam basically brought screwed up everything for us but lord jesus christ corrects everything for us in fact adam was not righteous he was without sin and innocent but he was not righteous but lord jesus christ is righteous adam was never called righteous man but jesus was called righteous and now when we believe in lord jesus christ we get to a better state than adam we become righteousness of god in christ you know how cool it is even though adam sinned you know sometimes we wish he did not sin but you know because he sinned we came to know the love of god you know we came to know to what extent god can go and his restoration is always better than the original state so now we are seated in heavenly places in christ jesus you know adam was in the garden of eden and he did not have that close union and fellowship with the lord jesus christ but we do so he restores us through the cross to a much better place than where adam was before the fall so it's that's why in romans chapter 5 it says it talks about much more much more everywhere it says you know much more this is a much more restoration of our lord jesus christ one uh, one final point i'd like to throw in if i might we've talked about it a bit about john talking about that he could see him and hear him and touch him and how how jesus became one of us within our humanity john I just want to show some of the human emotion he experienced and then i want to show you another scripture that shows how important that is and in john 11:33 as jesus was coming to the tomb where lazarus had died and was buried he came and he saw lazarus sisters weeping and all the family and friends weeping and it says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled he was deeply moved and troubled because of what these people were feeling he knew Laz he was well, he was going to raise Lazarus so he wasn't deeply moved and troubled by the fact that Lazarus died because he knew this was for God's glory and he's going to resurrect him but because of what they were feeling and how you know how much they were grieving and the sor- depth of sorrow because of his empathy and love for them he felt that himself and it actually caused him to weep too and then in Matthew 26 uh as he was preparing to be for the whole you know end of his life coming going to the cross he went to the garden of gethsemane and he took his closest disciples with him and he said my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death stay here and keep watch with me and so here's another example of his emotion of feel he not only had our humanity he had our emotions he felt what we felt in fact and he had a need for his closest friends to be with him as he went through as he prepared to go through this and then finally just to kind of 
bring a conclusion of why that's important is Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And to me, the key word in there is the word empathize. I want to read you the, the, the Webster definition of empathize. It's to understand and share the feelings of another. Jesus understands what we're going through here on earth as we're dealing with everything that's happening in our lives. And, and, and I love Paul's conclusion about the fact that that is true. He says, because of that, because we have a high priest, Jesus is a high priest. He laid his life down for us, gave us his righteousness, took our sins, and he understands and shares in our feelings. He says, because of this, the writer of Hebrews said, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's Paul's two plus two equals. Because of these things that Christ did, because he understands us and has shared our emotions and what's going on in our life, that gives us confidence to approach God because of God, his grace for us. And that's why the message of the gospel is the message of God's grace. In fact, Mark, I just want to add one thing, uh, actually extending what you said. Uh, um, one of the biggest frustrations of most of us is, you know, nobody understands me, right? No matter how close a person to us, we feel often nobody understands me, right? No, you know, you're not understanding what a, I'm feeling or what I'm saying. I wish I had someone who really understands what I'm going through. But, you know, humans, other humans really cannot understand as 100%, but we know for sure our Lord Jesus Christ understands 100% of what we are going through, what is on our mind, what we are feeling, what we are trying to communicate, everything he understands. And that also gives us boldness, right? In, uh, in Psalm 103, it says, you know, God knows that we are made of dust, Right, so all these uh, miserable feelings that we go through sometimes, and uh, the wretchedness that we experience, God understands that, and in spite of that, we can go to Him boldly. It is very comforting. Yeah, and I, I like how He also says, just to get more specific, that also applies to our sin. Yeah. how we're feeling when we sin it says he's not unable to under uh, to uh, to understand our weaknesses and yet we find grace in the midst, in the midst of that when you're in a religion that's about works and law do this don't do that rules and regulations there's no empathy from your god there's no understanding you are held accountable to do that and this is just like night and day it's freedom. It's like freedom or captivity. The 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 differences uh, in Jesus and all other world religions is that our God empathizes with our weaknesses. He doesn't hold us and judge us by how well we do this or don't do that. Rules and regulations, the gerbil wheel, as we like to call it, or hamster wheel. 
Thank you for that acquiescence there, Mark. I, I much prefer well, it's that. It's actually hearkening back to that. But, uh, <laughs> I think we're belaboring that one. <laughs> well, I think we've done a pretty good job of laying out that Jesus was man, but I want to throw one more point in here. And I know we're running down, down on time here, but uh, we won't belabor this. But there's an important reason for it. And in one of those, there are many important reasons for it, but one of those is that we can use whether something or someone who's trying to teach us believes that Jesus Christ came as a man or not as a test as to whether they are fully fully on the true gospel message. And let me, I've done a poor job of explaining that, but let me give you the two verses that I'm, I'm using to back me up and give you guys a chance to respond to that. The first one is in 1 John 4, 2. It says, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And in 2 John verse 7, it says, I say this because many deceivers who do, do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the Antichrist. That does sound pretty important to me. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah that's, that's killer stuff. And I'm glad he gave us that knowledge. And after you read two there, after that, it says, but I think, well, well, where did you go to after that? What was the other scripture? The first one was four, uh, excuse me. The first one was one John four, two. Right. And then you went to another one about the Antichrist. Second John verse seven. Okay. Well, first John four, two, right after that three is in complete agreement with, with the second one you just quoted. It says, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. He is he is the true north. He's the compass pointing true north. He's the pinnacle. It's all about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Yeah. Anybody that doesn't have that has the spirit of the Antichrist. And whether that's referring to the physical Antichrist, like in the movie Omen and End Times kind of stuff, no, it's talking about right here and now that the spirit of the Antichrist is anything that does not acknowledge Jesus came in the flesh, that he's God. He came and put on humanity. He came uh, in, what's the other word they use? They call it God incarnate in meat, in flesh. Great litmus test. Real makes it real easy, doesn't it? And I would say also that it goes beyond that. It goes to focusing. That's to be our focus, not just our litmus test. I think, Ajay, you've said it before. Another litmus test that you said is if you go into a visited church and all they're talking about is what you have to do, then that's not the gospel. You want someone who's talking about what Jesus did, who he is, and the focus is him. Because the clock just never stops ticking. This has been a great conversation because the time went by really quickly. But this is the period of time that I give you guys each a chance to summarize what we've been talking about for the episode. So, Ajay, you seem primed and ready to go? If you distill the gospel, right, it comes down to the person and the work of Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to believe accurately who Lord Jesus Christ, and we also need to believe accurately what he did for us. 
Lord Jesus Christ is God. He is Son of God, and He came into this world in the flesh, and He became a man, and then He went to the cross for our sins. He died on the cross. He paid the full price, and then He was buried on the, and then He rose again from the dead on the third day, and then He ascended to heaven, and then now He is seated at the right hand of God. All we need to do is believe that who Lord Jesus Christ is. and the work he did for us that is the gospel just by believing we are saved it's as simple as that it's all about our lord jesus christ thank you very much ajay mark well i'm just going to finish with one of the scriptures i'm going to read it it's uh three verses here we we've we've alluded to it already but i want to read the whole thing here for uh, philippians 2:6 who being in very nature god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross jesus christ and him crucified amen Well everybody, I hope we've given you between last week's episode and this one a pretty good picture that Jesus was fully God and fully human. In fact, he is fully God and is fully human even today. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode that you've been blessed and that you've gotten something out of it. Feel free to give us contact uh if you have any questions, comments or whatnot. We appreciate your being here and we look forward to talking to you. the next time Tim again thanks for listening today we hope you were blessed by today's message if so we encourage you to subscribe and share our podcast with your friends and family our entire catalog of episodes can be found on our website at www.theunveiledgospel.com or you can listen and subscribe on most popular podcast apps If you have any feedback or questions, you can send us an email to theunveiledgospel@yahoo.com. You can reach out to us on our Facebook page, The Unveiling Podcast, or you can leave a question or comment on our listener line at 352-398-0089. Maybe you'll hear yourself on a future episode. That's it for today. As always, God bless and we will talk to you the next time.